probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me for the last day this week is... I'm Mark from the DC Cinematic Minute Podcast, where we go minute by minute through all the DC films in their new extended universe. And you can find that on all social media at DCEU Minute, and you can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. Awesome. Thanks for uh, finishing out the week with us, man. You know, thanks for having me on board. It's been a blast. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Today, we're talking about minute 65 of The Thing, which begins with uh, McCready rewinding the recording on his uh, tape, trusty tape recorder, and then ends a minute later with um, Fuchs going back to working at his desk after having a quick conversation with McCready. So yeah, we start start with the, uh, like we talked about yesterday, where he's just uh, mashing a whole bunch of buttons on his tape recorder. <laughs> yeah, and like I said uh, yesterday, it's like, I had to kind of focus and kind of see what he was doing. Um, so I had to, you know, by, you know, just watching him, I learned that the third button was the stop button or no, the, the four, oh, hold on, let me get this right. <laughs> the fifth button is to stop. Uh, to rewind is the second button in. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so I basically, by process of elimination, I learned that he was rewinding, stopping, recording over what he said about nobody trusts each other, which... Which is know. weird, right? Like, I've never quite understood why he does that. So, he, yeah, he listens back to the last thing he said, which is the nobody trusts anybody anymore, and then, uh, and then rewinds it, I, presumably just to go back far enough to record over that one line... And then instead of nobody trusts anybody anymore, now he says, um, there's nothing more I can do. Uh, just wait. And I'm not sure why he does that necessarily. And you say it wasn't in the script, right? It was just like done. Um, yeah, this whole scene is not in the script. So this this is important. I mean, John, Car- does he not say anything in commentary about the recording over or anything? I don't think so. Because if you put that scene in there with no script, then you did it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure. Like, there's not, it's not just like something that just hung on through a couple drafts or something like that. Yeah. And it wasn't like in minute 62 where they were like, all right, let's just, let's just condense some dialogue and make a big moment at it of yeah. it rather than space those things out and kind of drag on the film. This was like, uh, this was added like organically, you know? Mm-hmm. So to to add that and then to add a close up shot of him recording over and then you take what was recorded over and that was no one trusts any anyone anymore. I feel like that's important information that I would like to know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like uh if you guys don't trust each other that's cool. That that means I should not trust you guys. 
Yeah, I mean, this is it's it is really kind of strange, and it's one of the like kind of small mysteries of the movie that I've never quite understood, I guess. And that, you know, I guess he's recording this. He says he's recording it just as a record, like he's not like sending this tape to anybody, or like, you know, like he says specifically he's recording it in case they all die, somebody will find this tape and know what happened here. So why would he not want whoever finds this tape to to hear him say that nobody trusts anybody anymore? Like that isn't it's it seems to me like if he had said something like um, Clark is totally a thing, um, <laughs> then he might want to re-record over that just in case he ends up being wrong or something. But like nobody trusts oh. anyone. I don't know why that's like, you know, something he's worried about anybody hearing. Now, now I'm starting to get it. Now it's, um, you said it the other day in one of your minutes where you talked about after seeing like it follows and then like mm-hmm. you left the theater and you were just kind of like, you don't want anyone near you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it might be one of those things. And it might be like what I said about in Man of Steel is like, you know, you tell people that a guy like Superman is out there and you're going to freak everyone out. Now, if you tell someone in a recording like nobody trusts each other, then when I listen to that, I'm going to look around and I'm going to be like, I shouldn't trust anyone. Like, you can't do that to the entire population if, it, if that record gets out then you're going to do more harm than good. You're going to like, you're going to have people killing each other just out of fear. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it's, that's a tough one because yeah, on one hand you think he'd want to like warn people about it and be like, you know, that's presumably kind of what he's doing where it's like, you know, we know that because, because he doesn't record over the part where he's like, this thing rips through your clothes when it takes you over. (laughs) Like, you know, he's not like hiding the fact that there's like an alien that imitates you. But um, but just hiding the part where he says we don't trust anybody. So maybe it is kind of, you know, supposed to be he doesn't want to, like, incite some kind of um, some kind of panic or mob rule or anything like that. Yeah, he d- he wants to warn people the right way. He doesn't want to cause mass hysteria or something like that. So he's like, like, I want to tell you about this alien so you can be, you know, aware. But I don't want you killing your grandmother because you think she might be an alien (laughs) or maybe maybe he just didn't like the sound of his voice when he played it back and he's like i could do that better (laughs) oh we've all been there (laughs) i'm gonna delete all these episodes because i don't like the way i sound i'm just kidding (laughs) um yeah it's it's one of those things by the way i never mentioned i'm gonna get off topic here for a bit but you know uh because we're talking about not trusting things so it's kind of in tangent. When I every time I see this film, my uh, my parents have a, a Shiba Inu, but he's kind of a big Shiba Inu, and he has like the same coat pattern as the dog, ah. the dog. And like I remember years ago, I watched this film. It wasn't really that long; it was like three years ago. And I like came in, and the <laughs> this dog, uh, he was just like laying almost in the same kind of like that weird like alien the way the dog just kind of like all right, I will lay right here kind of thing, like right in front of a doorway. And he still, he also has like the white and black coat kind of pattern. Mm-hmm. And every time I stare at him, I just go, man, just do it. Just split your head open. I know you're <laughs> quit staring me down. Just get this over with. And like for like a good few days, I was like freaked out. I was like, yo, this dog, this is it. This is how I go out. <laughs> and he would just stare at me and be like, it's going to happen. 
His face is going to split apart. You like hear, hear the theme in your head every time you see the dog, like, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, you you probably yeah. start reading into all kinds of weird dog behaviors if you have a dog that looks like looks like this dog, where, like, if the dog's, like, looking out the window, you're like, oh, shit. Like, it's definitely, like, looking at it, finding a way to escape. <laughs> yeah, I think about it all the time, especially when that dog stares at me. I'm like, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to do it. It's just biding its time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so so he re-records over it and just says instead, an- another good line that is, is another one that... um. Maybe it's not tagline material, but definitely ties in with the the last lines of the movie when he just says, there's nothing else I can do. All we can do is wait or just wait. So waiting seems to be like, especially given that we just found out that they've been waiting for 48 hours, apparently, like just kind of adds adds to the tenseness, I guess, that they've, you know, all they can do is sit around while they know that somebody in this base is not a person. Yeah. And then we get a fade out finally, which I feel like, was weirdly overdue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, given that we we talked a lot yesterday about how it seems like that the cut previous to this one should have had a fade out to have that passage of time, but yeah, this one we get the music finally comes back after like 14 minutes without music as it, it kind of swells when he says all we can do is wait and then McCready signs off when he and he uh stops the tape recorder, which I think by the way might be the only time we hear his anything besides his last name. So we don't know what RJ stands for, but it's the only time I think we hear anybody say RJ, but uh, yeah. And then we do get this kind of just bleak fade out that uh, kind of passes time. I guess it's, it's like, you know, he's talking about how tired everybody is and how all they can do is wait. So, you know, it's just another like passage of time thing. Yeah. I didn't know that was the one. And is that the one and only time we hear RJ McCready? I think I thought so. you guys, I thought you guys probably already talked about that or found it in another minute. I didn't know that was the only time. You see his name. Um, I mean, you see the RJ on his uh, on his Long John. So that's that's not till later, though. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I think the only time anybody says a first name in this movie is at the beginning when um, Bennings gets shot, and they're like, uh, when when McCready goes over to ask if he's okay, he calls him George, and that's like the only time anybody goes by their first name. Hmm. So yeah, it is interesting. I want to now. I, I want to know what RJ stands for. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I want to come up with a good one, but all I could think of are like super it's not bland, happen. not not funny. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Nope. <laughs> um. Uh. I do. I. I really want to talk about this scene with McCready walking in behind Fuchs. This is yes. how like the next shot is set up. It's mm-hmm. so it starts with Fuchs. He's just working. He's in the he's in the forefront and on the far right. And then there's a, you know, you can see in the background, there's a door open and McCready kind of steps into frame in the background. And I know it's not really a jump. I don't think it's a jump scare, right? I don't think anyone's supposed to be spooked by this. Were they? Uh, I don't think you as the audience are supposed to be spooked. Fuchs is definitely spooked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. He is spook McGee over here. (laughs) But like, um, I I love this shot because both characters are focused and uh, something things like this always irritate me when it doesn't happen correctly in Reservoir Dogs there's a scene where Marvin Nash the guy the cop who gets his ear cut off he's like out of focus but he's in the forefront and 
Mr. Blonde is in the background, but he's focused. And they try to do like this weird focusing thing that for a 1992 film, like it, there wasn't a, an excuse for it still. Like I was like, there are a million ways to do it. Like Tarantino is a phenomenal director. There was no excuse for such a bad shot to be set up where like it's, it's just painfully unfocused in an area <laughs> for no reason where it's like you have a film like this. This is 1982, mm-hmm. I think, like 10 years prior. And there have been films, you know, ever since that like can nail down focusing on a, something in the background and also focusing on something in the foreground, or maybe it's the 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 negative space in the middle that you can't see the the cutoff between two cameras, and maybe it was just stitched in post or something. But they nail it here. I mean, you can clearly you can clearly see um, that there's text on the boxes in the background. There's nothing blurry. Um, yeah, McCready's far away, but you still see him clearly. Mm-hmm. And then you can see Fuchs, and there's no, there's no fighting for the focus. They both have it. It's it's phenomenal. Yes, um, I love this and, shot. <laughs> and I, it, it pains me that in a film like Reservoir Dogs, it's like with such a great director. Although maybe you could argue that he wasn't as great back then um, until Pulp Fiction, or I don't know. I don't know. You can have your thoughts about Tarantino in any way, but I just felt like if he was such a great director, he, he there was no excuse for such a mishandling of such a a bad focusing job. And then there was a part, I think it happens in Minute 61, and I don't think I called it out, but there was a a moment of tension between, you know, Gary and and Windows and McCready calms down Gary with two Rs, but like um <laughs> they when gary like relaxes he's still unfocused and i felt like that was a time to like refocus back on him so that you can see the character like calming down which i don't know those are my back and forth about focusing just just do it right man (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh being a focus puller is a very difficult job i'm sure it's it's a pretty difficult one but i didn't notice the gary being out of focus in that one i'll have to go back and look but I, i do have some information about this shot in particular so this uses what's called a, it's a split diopter shot. So it uses a lens that's called a split diopter. And it's literally a lens that has a, it's split right down the middle. So one side of the lens is a, it focuses up close and the other side focuses far away. And it's a, um, I, the only reason I'm familiar with it is because I, I spent some time um, watching a bunch of Brian De Palma movies. And this is something, one of the things that he does a lot, like, um, probably most famously in his movie um, Blowout, which on uh, on the Geek Rex podcast, we did a whole episode on that. We did a movie club episode on Blowout. And there are like 15 or 16 um, split after shots like this in that movie where it's just, it's a really interesting technique because it's difficult to do without it looking really kind of um, obvious. Like, like you said, there's got to be something in the middle of the frame to kind of cover it. So um, you know, in, in this case, there's like that whole kind of black space in between the two of them. So you can't really see the like kind of blur. Like if you look at some other shots, like if you look at split after and look on YouTube for other shots, you can see kind of a blurry line down the middle where the lens changes. So, you mm-hmm. you know, if the cinematographer is doing it right, they are usually pretty careful to kind of find a way to cover that up with like, you know, the edge of a of a wall or like like in this case, it's just super dark. But it's um it's a technique that like hardly ever gets used anymore, and it's I I, I really wish it would because it's really interesting. It's um, uh, 
it's a different effect than like, you know, that kind of like deep focus where you can see kind of everything in focus because it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not like everything. It's just like two very specific things that are at very different distances are put into focus. And it gives, it's kind of like in this scene, it gives you this kind of eerie feeling and, um, you know, definitely gives you that feeling that McCready's kind of not sneaking up on him, but like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's kind of an uneasy shot. It looks, uh, it feels kind of unnatural and, and in a way you can't really put your finger on. Oh, I thought it looked beautiful. I mean, I, I, I'm in love with this shot. I mean, it's one of those shots that I could be like, yeah, I could hang that still up and be like, look at this amazing shot. And, you know, kudos to, uh, what was the cinematographer's name? Uh, Dean Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy. I almost Mm -hmm. said Cundy. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's it's a great it's a it's a well done shot, and I think maybe it is the um, the blackness of the room that helps sell it. Because I found the the minute I was referring to in Reservoir Dogs, and it, it happens in minute sixty three, and I may post this. I can post this minute uh, as a comment to yours when this minute comes out. Just yeah, so I can, can put it in the notes the, too for sure. The reference, yeah, and. Um, for some reason, Tarantino decided to focus on the back of Marvin Nash's head on the right side. So, he's, you know, you split it in two as opposed to thirds. And so the right half is focused on Marvin Nash. And so everything else around him gets blurred and unfocused. And it, it, it really takes up a lot of the, the frame. And it's so that the left side can focus on Mr. Orange, who's all in the background. But it, it it was one of those things where it's like one it doesn't work because it's in daylight and you're not doing anything to make up for the un the unfocused part. Uh, but then also, who needs the focusing on the back of his head? I mean, <laughs> you could just have that unfocused. I mean, you don't need the detailing of his hair or like his ear that is still there. It's not even the cut ear. If it was the cut ear, then you know you have an argument there. Yeah. Uh, so you can still see that that goriness or like the detailing so people who love practical effects can enjoy that kind of stuff but it's just his good ear and his sweaty head so it's like who cares like (laughs) but here it works and they've made it work and this film is 10 years younger or older so what are you doing (laughs) get it right or don't do it at all i'm like you know that's 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 i'm gonna leave it at that so and we know tarantino is a big fan of this movie too so maybe maybe he was trying to pull that off and he just messed it up or something and it's in his first movie (laughs) yeah it's his first film so you know i cut him a little slack yeah and then you know (laughs) hateful eight kind of you know goes back to this so oh yeah um (laughs) Yeah, this uh, you're right. I mean, this is a beautiful shot. It's it's definitely one of my favorites in the movie. And the other thing I think that makes it why why this kind of technique works really well for the scene is because it it puts them both in focus. So in some ways, it feels like they're close together to be able to have this conversation. But at the same time, we can tell that they're not like even though they're both in focus. You know, McCready's way far away. Like you can tell that neither of them wants to get any closer to the other person. Like they're still kind of wary of each other. So it definitely kind of, you know, heightens that, like, you know, the fact they don't necessarily trust each other a hundred percent still. Yeah. It's like I said, he is extremely scared. And, you know, we, in the last scene, he said it's been about 48 hours. Uh, but now even more time has probably passed. Mm -hmm. Who knows how long it is now. And for it to go that long, almost, I want to, let's say three days, 
for three days without anything happening that I'm sure everyone is a changed person by now. And I, I wonder if that that's overlooked. I mean, going forward with this podcast, you're, you'll probably have to take a closer look at uh, character behavior and see how it's changed because it has at least been more than two days. Right. Um, and two days without an incident um, could only add more tension or suspense. Yeah, it's just probably got everybody on edge. And I think they, they sell that really well here in something I never really noticed that you know, we do get, like you said, Fuchs is definitely spooked when McCready shows up behind him because, you know, he turns around all fast and he's very like kind of wide eyed and tense. But what I didn't, what I didn't notice until I started watching this closer is that he grabs, he's grabbing a flask of acid that he could throw on somebody in case it's somebody trying to attack him, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> I just wouldn't have my back to the door. Ever. Yeah, that seems like a. Uh, I, I think I would rearrange the room a little bit. <laughs> yeah, or put a mirror behind you. No, don't even do that. Don't do that. That's terrifying. Just stare at the door. <laughs> or you know what? Every, oh, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I would just move everything to the the recreation room, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone has to sleep there. I don't, you know, I, I don't care about personal space. You guys uh, go to the bathroom in threes. I don't like <laughs> you guys are all going to eat in front of each other. You're you're going to sleep in the same room like everyone, like no one is getting out of sight. And they are like, yeah, you can go in your own room and like work on your science experiment and whatnot. <laughs> it's like what? No. <laughs> Yeah, it's that, I'm glad you brought that up because in the script, they're much more specific about their plan. And it's like, there's a lot of like real specific stuff like that. They do say they're all going to stay in the rec room or not that they're all going to stay in the rec room, but every 20 minutes, they all have to meet back out there. And if somebody doesn't, then they're just going to be assumed that they've been taken over, which seems like a more complicated way to handle it than to just say everybody stay in the room. <laughs> but yeah, they talk about like sleeping in shifts and that everybody has to come back to the rec room every so often. But yeah, in, I guess maybe Carpenter thought that that was not useful to the plot, that it's, I guess, you know, having them be able to kind of be separated definitely gives the ability to have these kind of creepy moments where, you know, somebody's alone and, uh, you know, what, what what's going to happen to Fuchs in the next couple of minutes would be difficult to do if everybody was always, if they actually stuck to the plan and, you know, it's like, it's like those horror movie rules. Like if everybody really did just stick together at all times, like, 99% of horror movies would be like negated. <laughs> it wouldn't be a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like when I watch any horror movie that's like a, a haunted house situation, it's like, uh, bye. It's like, why are you sleeping? Why? Like, as soon as something happens, oh, what's that? <laughs> a scary doll? Is that, that belongs to someone who lived here? All right, bye. I'll see you later. I'm not doing this. <laughs> this isn't happening. That's right. <laughs> wouldn't catch me in that house. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I don't even think that 20 minute rule would, would have made sense. Cause I would have been like, you know, the alien's just going to be like, all right, I just got to report back to the room in 20 minutes. Yeah, deal. It, yeah. The alien knows exactly what they do. So I don't know what that really accomplishes necessarily. In fact, if you're the one coming in 20 minutes on the dot, I would think you're the alien. Nobody comes in on time. What are you talking about? <laughs> this alien probably like, I'm here 20 minutes. Exactly. Like you said, like, uh-huh. It's like timing it out at the door, like 58, 59, 20. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... But he... No, go ahead. Uh, this is where we get at least some rules, though, where, yes. like, Fuchs is, like... Um, you go ahead, you say it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Fuchs uh, adds, you know, in the two days of research, I guess this is what he's come up with. Um, he says, uh, if a small particle of this thing is enough to take over an entire organism then we should all prepare our own meals and we should only eat out of cans. Uh, which no. I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, well, first of all, what have they been eating up to this point? Like, I kind of imagine that at an Antarctic base, everything's in cans. Like, I'm picturing, like, the storeroom freezer in, like, in uh, The Shining. Like, everything's probably canned already. So, I, and, and I don't know if, are they just, like... We're under this major crisis, and we're worried about people getting infected. But you know, Nalls, go ahead and cook us up a cook us up a nice meal. Yeah, because Nalls is the cook, right? Mm-hmm. So we all got to eat out of cans. So maybe their own individual cans, because that's what. And I was like, what? They don't have a garden. It's not like yeah, that's anywhere. what I mean. Like, what else are they gonna eat? Like, I get it. Like, they should eat out of cans so that they know that nobody could have tampered with it. But like yeah i don't know what they would have been eating beforehand necessarily <laughs> yeah but why it's a it's also a military base ain't it like mm-hmm. so there's rations like what are those like em emrs or something yeah i can't remember what they stand for but yeah yeah it's something like that but yeah i mean pre-packaged I food seen, have we seen them eat at all in this movie mm. i i'm surprised i've never looked at that yeah no i, I actually haven't thought about that i don't think anybody ever eats in this movie actually they drink a lot. Mm. <laughs> they get eaten a lot. <laughs> yes, that's true. There is human food uh, involved. So maybe, I don't know. I feel like that's something that they've already been doing. But then, um, you know, you always got, maybe Nalls is one of those like uh, creative types where he's like, I'm going to open three cans of SpaghettiOs, but then I'm also going to open this can of green beans and mix it in with it. And I'm going to be like this, like, uh, EMR chef or something. It's like, bon appetit. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> you always got that one guy, you know, your, your drunk roommate who thinks he's gonna turn into like a really cool chef in the middle of the <laughs> night and like throw in cold cuts in his ramen or something and call it a day. Then you know, it's gourmet ramen. Yeah, gourmet. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the whole food thing is kind of is kind of odd. Uh, although I, you know, I get it. it's a it's a good line, but once you kind of think about it, it's like, yeah, they probably would have done that already. But I also like, you know, he says if a if a small particle of this thing is enough to take over an entire organism, and I'm not sure where he got that idea necessarily based on what we've seen so far. Like we know later, McCready kind of makes a similar um, discovery when he comes up with the blood test, but. I'm not sure what they've seen up to this point that makes them think that it's a small, a small particle could take them over except for um, there's some stuff in the script that they never filmed that like about um, there's a scene we talked about last week, this major scene that they never filmed where one of the, a dog just starts running away from the base. And so they have to chase after it because they know it's been infected and they figure out, I think in the script they figure out that it got infected because it like, when it bit, when it was attacking the thing in the dog kennel, when it bit it, you know, it accidentally swallowed some of it or like, you know, got infected that way. But I'm not sure what's in the movie, you know, as it exists that, that let uh, Fuchs figure that out. Uh, could it be when Blair was 
looking at the video microscope. I don't know what that was, but it was like a, or was like it just a simulation a, kind of thing? It, was that what it was? A simulation of like the, I the, hope it's a, if it's a, if it's not a simulation, then it's like a really bad animation of <laughs> like what a real t- uh, microscope would look like. <laughs> yeah. Cause it like, didn't it had like some eight bit, uh, Atari looking assimilated cell mm-hmm. and then it like got the dog cell, but then it got another dog cell and it was like, maybe that's, where they're getting at, where it's like just one cell of it could like start taking over the entire body. That's true. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that very. I think you've solved it. My complaint is totally resolved because uh, Fuchs was supposed to have been looking through Blair's notebooks, so that's probably where he got the idea. I didn't think about the that, computer simulation. That's probably where he got it from. But you know, it still leaves a lot of questions because I when I watched that. I was like, well, why isn't there two assimilated cells now? Why is it just one? And then I go back and I think about the dogs, and I'm like, why, if it was a perfect dog already, why did it need to assimilate more dogs into itself? Was it trying to make multiple thing dogs? Like, at what? Like, yeah, what? (laughs) Yeah. Just leave it there. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I don't remember if we talked about this or not when we were in the kennel scene, but, like, as to why it tries to take over. And I guess... You know, maybe on one hand, it's just like a biological instinct, like, or maybe it's like how it eats, you know, that it has to do that or else it eventually will die. But I guess I always just thought it was trying to take over the other dogs just so it could have more of itself. So it'd have a better chance of being able to take over, you know, a person so that it could actually get off of this base and get away. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, because then we'll just leave that out there. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's everyone at, the outpost31.com i'm sure they have had a lot of conversations about it yes i'll just have to read on that (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh yeah if you haven't joined the um that uh, the outpost 31 uh website those guys have a a great facebook discussion group where these kind of questions and discussions and they get they get very heated people are very passionate about their uh their beliefs about how the thing works um that's just nerds man it happens every day (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, this is what RJ McCready stands for. <laughs> oh, by the way, I think I came up with a good one. Let's hear it. Rick James McCready. Rick James, I mean, Rick James was pretty popular right then, <laughs> there, I think. So that's what, I, that's what I'm going with. Rick James McCready. <laughs> I'm going to go with Roy Jasper. Oh, that's a good that's one. I, that kind of fits the I, whole, like, you know, bearded outdoorsman type. Yeah, I could call him Jasper McCready. That sounds right. <laughs> Um, let's see. What was I? I was going to say something else. Um, oh, about, I just wanted to comment on outpost31.com. Am I getting Mm -hmm. that domain right? Yeah. I want to snub them. The, the whole section they have about like, um, them going to the site and finding all the parts and whatnot. Yeah. That's, that's cool stuff. I I really like that. I like documentations of stuff and I hope they're like putting that in exhibit and not just keeping those stuff. Cause I would like to go and see those things. Yeah. That but, would be, that would be pretty sweet if, uh, if Todd and, and those guys could put together like a, a thing museum. Yeah. And that, yeah, it's, it is really cool. Cause it, it was funny. I had used the site a little bit when I, when I first got the idea for the podcast, I had used outpost 31, actually their old website. Cause it, it just got updated a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. I was using that for research and then I, you know, I had started digging into uh, the special features on the Blu-ray and I was like, and then all of a sudden, like, there's a special feature with the guy from that website. I was like, holy shit. Like, I just thought this was some, you know, 
rinky dink fan site but like this is like a big deal like this guy knows everything Whoa, about this you. movie <laughs> <laughs> Careful, you go calling people's fan sites rinky dinky. <laughs> yeah, that was probably bad. There's so many of them too. This is true. Everybody but, um, who's listening probably has their own fan thing fan site. <laughs> just uh, yeah, search Phantom Menace rumors and then change your Google settings to look up the year 1997 to find <laughs> all the rinky dink websites that are Angel uh, Fire now. and uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I did that. I did that uh, last year for some reason when we were doing Man of Steel minute, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? I found out I can change when to search, and I changed it to 1997." And I looked up episode one rumors, and those websites are gold. You have to look those up. <laughs> I will. Maybe I'll provide a link to those search results on on this yeah. uh, this just minutes because that sounds <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to. Uh, to say anything negative about Outpost 31 when I say Rinky Dink. Oh, no. I only say that because it's, you know, it was just a fan site. I was like, oh, it's just something somebody put together that really likes the movie. And then it was like, hey, this dude's like on the Blu-ray. And like, you know, and then I got a chance to talk to Todd on the podcast. Is like, this dude knows more about this movie than anybody on the planet. And that is super awesome. (laughs) No, because, well, I checked out Outpost 31 because of your because of your podcast and i was i was like well that's that is the goal of these websites it was like that's what um when people make websites like that like fan sites about movies and stuff like they want to be what outpost 31 is like that's when i was like looking at it and like i said about the whole uh section where they go and visit the site like that's that's it like that is what people's fan fan sites aspire to be in so like it's a really good resource you know like so you know kudos guys yeah hard work has paid off most definitely yeah if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you've heard me and a bunch of guests you know blather on about our theories and stuff and you haven't checked out outpost31.com you're you're doing yourself a disservice because it's it's pretty incredible they're like maps and timelines and and pictures of like props that they've recovered and stuff it's it's really pretty awesome if you're a big fan of this movie so Highly, uh, yeah. highly recommend it. Yeah, what are you doing? It's like talking about cheesecake, but then never buying cheesecake. Right? <laughs> well, how would you do that to yourself? It is a lot like that. <laughs> uh, and if only cheesecake came in cans, then maybe these guys could uh, could have a bite. But I think I think they're probably stuck with, like you said, spaghettios with some green beans stirred in. <laughs> Yo, you want to bet? I'm gonna look right now. Canned cheesecake. <laughs> It probably exists. Everything's uh, canned. It's a mason jar recipe. Ooh, interesting. It's <laughs> very hipster. There you go. That's, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I only eat my cheesecake out of mason jars. <laughs> Boy, do you know. Um, where are we in this minute? Uh, are we... Are we done here or like is there anything <laughs> <laughs> No, I meant like is there did we did we capture everything or Yeah, no, I, I mean don't I th- miss out. No, I think I, I mean that's that's kind of everything I had um I had notes for. The only only thing I really had written down was that um I think uh Joel Polis who plays Fuchs does a really great job in this scene. He's very like I, in the script, Fuchs is um the only way Fuchs is described as a sensitive young biologist and Joel Polis like perfectly embodies that he's like always kind of on edge and he's like last week we talked about him being kind of like the conscience of the group in some ways he's always like very emotional and like he's the only person who like doesn't want to not trust people like he's he always wants to keep things kind of friendly and 
you know, so this is a this is a great bit of acting by him where he it's finally kind of taken over and even Fuchs is like, you know, ready to throw acid on somebody if he thinks he's about to get attacked. Yeah, I definitely relate to this character more than the rest of them. Yeah, he's he is pretty young, like in this film or this character is. Mm-hmm. I yeah, especially in, I don't know. He just he looks really young for some reason. Yeah, him and Nals are him. And, I know Nals is the youngest actor in the cast. I don't know how old um, Joel Polis was when they filmed this, but he was definitely one of the younger guys for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is uh you know we're we're coming right up on his his last scene. So any any nice things we can say about Fuchs are. Is probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, cool last name. <laughs> it is a cool last name. You're right. I don't, now I want to know what his first name is. Like Holy Fuchs, or like uh, <laughs> Spooks. Spooks. S P. Yeah, S P U C H. Spooks. I think we have the name for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's I. I think that's it for the minute itself. Yeah. I so I think we've covered it, man. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's it for minute 65 and that's, we're kind of at the end of the week here. So any, um, any last, uh, last minute things you want to mention about just the thing in general or, or anything like that? Uh, you know what? I, it's like I said, uh, in 61 on Monday, like it's a movie I could, keep watching and i find so much joy in watching it. i don't know why it's like because i i do get like spooked out by horror films still to this day i think it's like i don't know it's horror films is, are like hot sauce bottles you know like you like at first you're like i don't want to eat anything with hot sauce because it's too spicy but then the more you do it the more you're like you build a tolerance for it and the more it starts to like you get like the endorphin rush and then you just want to keep watching horror films or keep eating things with hot sauce. Like, I can't eat anything anymore without putting hot sauce on it. Probably, like, you can't stop watching horror films to save your life. Mm-hmm. But it's like, <laughs> you do it because you've it's beca- it's assimilated into your life. Um, <laughs> I feel like your listeners should, like, take a do a drinking game whenever, every time you say the word assimilated. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. it's like... It, it, you know, but this film really is like, I find so much joy in watching it. And it's not outright gory or like, it's not, it, I don't know, there's something to the film or something to the characters. Like, I, I have a, I can't stand films that, like horror films that are just going out to kill people for no reason. I always like that characters kind of have like a fighting chance or, if they're being killed, they're being killed for like a solid reason, mm-hmm. which is why I, I kind of like the first two Saw films a lot because they they did that and then then they turn into a whole like uh, grindhouse thing where right. it's just like yeah we just want to kill people now with no moral connectivity to it and so I, I was really like turned off by that. Uh, most Eli Roth films I hate, but the Hostel films always felt like there was a bit more nuance or there's something to them that made them feel like solid films and like even what was it like the rebooted jason film that came out in like 2013 or something it was like jason had uh a moral or like he had like a reasoning for being the villain or something and like you felt like those people kind of deserved it so when 
you have a good storytelling element, then it sells like your horror picture. And I feel like that's what the thing is. I just feel like it's just a well done film in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And I think it's, it's kind of like how we talked about earlier in the week that to have a scary jump out moment, you need the silence before it. And that's this whole movie is like that where it's a horror movie, but to make, uh, you know, for any horror movie to work really well and to actually be scary and not just be something kind of forgettable that you won't remember, you know, a year later, it's, you know, it's all about having characters that you care about and a, and a plot that's interesting and, you know, themes that are, you know, stuff under the surface of the act of the main story that's actually relevant and interesting and makes you think about, you know, things in real life outside of, you know, I'm not going to be attacked by an alien monster probably. So I don't have to worry about that, but you know, the kind of, underlying themes in this movie about, you know, paranoia and mob rule and, you know, even like the AIDS crisis, you can look at it in that light. Like there's, you know, th there's a lot more depth to it. And those are the kind of things that make this movie give it its kind of cult status rather than just the crazy monsters, which are totally awesome. But, um, you know, that's not, that's not the thing that makes this movie so successful. I don't think. Yeah, I, I definitely think, and it's not just horror films. I mean, it's just filmmaking in general. Like when they have depth. I mean, the the films that I I do, the DC extended universe, I always feel like there's so much depth to them, and that's why I gravitate to those films so much. And I decided to do a, a podcast, which was completely suicidal. But like <laughs> you know, like those films, they have depth and they make me question things. And like I want to understand characters and character behavior. And like I take what I've experienced in those films and i question those things in real life and i think that's so important with just films in general so it's like uh if your film isn't doing that if it's just trying to be like a you know it's, it's just trying to be then it's kind of wasting my time <laughs> yeah i agree and i will say that this this movie is never a waste of my time i'll watch it you know i've watched it a million times and i'll watch it a million more times and i will i will never feel like i've uh i've wasted my time watching it it's it's one of those movies so well mark man i really appreciate you being on this week it's been it's been a blast we, we had some super uh interesting you know insights we figured we worked through some stuff figured out some mysteries and you know uncovered some other stuff and yeah it's been awesome man yeah and i think we also like put out more mysteries or something, you know, like just asking, put, solving some questions and then asking new ones and do, yeah. I, like I said a million times, uh, this is my favorite horror film. love that you're doing a podcast about it. I'm excited to hear the rest of it. And I wouldn't be mad if you did the prequel minute by minute, just to maybe analyze what went wrong and how you could fix it. <laughs> just putting that out there. Um, you know, keep doing you, man. <laughs> or if you if you had to do I don't know maybe just do horror films minute by minute maybe maybe that's your calling I won't say I hadn't thought about it so we'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see what the future holds uh, yeah <laughs> so um, yeah I think that'll uh, that'll wrap up um, this week and uh, Mark do you want to give one last plug for where people can find you and all your podcasts and cool stuff that you're doing yeah you can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows it's a uh, ends with a Z and not an S um, and you can find my show DC Cinematic Minute on all social media at DCEU Minute. We talk about Man of Steel, Donna Justice, eventually Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and Justice League minute by minute. And um, I also do Tarantino Minute where I talk about all the Tarantino films uh, minute by minute as well. And I think by this time, 
uh, Pulp Fiction Minute will be coming out. So yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's a great one. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I love that movie. So, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I feel like as his films go on, they just get better and better. So I'm really excited to and we'll start talking about some Kurt Russell soon in those films as well. So I'm looking oh, forward to that. That's true. Yeah, you'll you'll get there <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. Cool. So um, that'll wrap up this minute and this week for uh, minute 65. So if you've listened up to this point and you en- are enjoying the show and you want to do anything to support us, um, one thing you can do is go to thethingminute.com slash Amazon and it'll take you to the Amazon homepage. And, you know, if you do any shopping through Amazon, it'll be just like it normally is. But uh, anything you buy, we get a, a very small percentage of that um, of that cost at, at no extra cost to you. It comes out of Amazon's pockets. Um, so if you do that, that's uh, very, very helpful to the show. And you can also uh, just donate directly using the donate button at the bottom of the thing minute.com. Um, everybody who does that, that makes a, a humongous difference in helping keep the, uh, keep the show going. So I really appreciate those that have, uh, that have helped out in that way. In the meantime, uh, all of you, if you've recovered from your, your Halloween fun and you've, uh, you're still a human and not assimilated by the thing by Monday, then I hope you will come back for another episode of the thing minutes. Tweet us your, uh, uh Halloween photos. <laughs> yes, please tweet us your, if anybody dressed up as, uh, Rick James or uh, what, what was yours? Something Jasper. <laughs> uh, Roy Jasper. Roy, <laughs> if anybody dresses up as Roy Jasper McCready for Halloween, I need those pictures ASAP. <laughs> All right, that'll uh, that'll do us for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on the thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. <laughs>